0: Well, hello, everybody. I'm happy you're here. What a beautiful weekend we've had. and um, Wherever you're at in your own spiritual journey, I'm glad you came to church today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about our, our, our title here is Redefine. And what we'll look at is sometimes there are certain things that we have adopted culturally. And, boy, it could go way back to ancient origins or maybe it's a more modern thing. And we just assume certain things just because that's the norm. That's what everybody believes. That's what we were taught. That's what was reinforced. And fascinatingly, sometimes the Bible has a very different perspective on something. And so what we always want to do around here is we want to go with "Well, what does the scripture say? How does that challenge us? How does it redefine what we believe about certain things? Because our belief always does what it always empowers our actions. Right? What I really believe is what I end up doing. So I'd like us to look at a passage of scripture that redefines some very important things about relationships. Relationships, okay? Now, it it covers the whole gamut. Paul's gonna get in in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's gonna talk about married life, he's gonna talk about single life, he's gonna talk about people who are in challenging relationships. And he is going to redefine for the Corinthians what relationships were meant to be. Because in Corinth, which was this metropolis in the first century, it was ancient Greece. It was a city that was, oh boy, it was really active. It was like um, the equivalent of what Las Vegas or Amsterdam would be today. All right. It was that type of city. Like people went there and when your 18 year old said he was going to Corinth, you said, no, you're not. Um, It was that type of city. Just kind of wild, crazy, uh, trade, very prosperous, but very sensual as well. And so what's happened is there are a group of people in Corinth who have begun to follow Jesus. And they've been stretched and challenged. And so they're going to write Paul asking some questions. Because what they've always believed about human relationships and what they're learning, Jesus taught about relationships, are radically different. And so they're going to ask some questions. So let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll kind of slowly walk our way through this and maybe make a few comments. And I just really have two big points that Paul's going to challenge us with. So here's the context. Corinth City. uh, For instance, a recent archaeological dig in Corinth, one of the temples that was um, dedicated to one of their goddesses, there is a register of 1,000 registered um, licensed temple prostitutes. Okay, it just worked at that one temple. There's something like 18 to 21 in the city of Corinth. So it's a city where it's just kind of wild and crazy. And this is what we read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, uh, moms, dads, if you brought your kids, uh, we're going to read a little bit about sex at the beginning, but I, I won't hang in there for a long time. Okay, we'll move on and you can interpret to your children later. Now, getting down to the questions asked in your letter to me. So remember, they're brand new at following Jesus. And here was their question. Is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? So they're like totally confused. They're like, hey, this was part of our culture, and now we're following Jesus, and we're hearing that like what we've been doing maybe wasn't God's best for us. So like, does that mean that's like totally out of the question? I mean, that's a letter you want to write to the the guy that planted your church, right? Uh, You better help us out here. And here's what he says. Certainly. All right, so he's he's not afraid of it. He says, but only within a certain context. And he's going to describe the context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. And here's one of my favorite sentences in the Bible relating to human sexuality. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. So 2,000 years ago in Corinth, there was sexual disorder, right? It was all over the place, people being hurt, people feeling abused and mistreated and people thinking, boy, there's nothing, there's no consequences tied to what I do with my body. It's disorder. It's the same as today. And here's what Paul says. Listen, God's not afraid of this. He created it. But he says in this context and in the beautiful context of marriage, that that institution is strong enough to contain in an orderly, loving, kind way the sexual drives that human beings have. In this world where it's chaotic and disorderly, there can be something beautiful in the midst of it. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. This is where we're going to get the core of what he's talking about. We're going to talk about servanthood. We're going to talk about uh, mutual submission to one another. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. This is very different than what you might see on an MTV episode where it's like, I'm trying to get my needs met. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You need to redefine your values when it comes to sexuality. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to... Serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time, if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times, then come back together again. Some guys in the room, that's your favorite verse. You love that. Oh, you must be praying, honey. You're fasting? All right. Uh, Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, Commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Now he's going to move on. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. Okay, what we're about to read, you will never find on a Hallmark Valentine's Day card. Paul is going to be the least romantic. When my wife thinks I'm not very romantic, I'll say at least I'm not Paul. All right. He says, I wish that all of you guys, you guys' lives were so complicated. I wish all of you were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. And then what does he put behind the word ways? Exclamation mark. He says, boy, you've got all these complications out there. Now, here's what we do know about Paul. Early, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. And we know you had to be married in order to be even elected or placed on the Sanhedrin. So likely, although Paul doesn't explore it, at one point in his life he was married. Most likely his spouse, his wife died early in their marriage. Because we know after he begins to follow Jesus, he's single that entire time. And so he's got a little bit of experience in marriage, but now he's got decades of experience in being single. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. For God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. So Paul says this, it takes a gift of God to be single or to be married. And if you have a gift to be single and you get married, it's going to be really difficult. Or if you have a gift, God's given you this gift to be married and you are single, that too is going to be difficult. So it's a gift. God gives gifts to different types of people. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. Aren't you glad that his wife is likely dead at this point? Because um, he's like married. now, uh, single. This is way better for me. But if they, can't, if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. So basically he's saying, if you can't handle it, I guess you have to get married. Um, if you don't have the self-control to handle your desires and your emotions, well, then you can get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And if you are married, okay, now he's going to make a whole nother transition. If you are married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. Now, Paul's going to say a few things. He's going to say, Sometimes Jesus didn't tell us what to do, but in this instance, the master Jesus told us, when you're married, just stay married, stay married. He's going to explore that a little bit more. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. So in first century Roman society, it was quite easy to get a divorce, especially if you're a man. A man had more legal rights and he could walk away if he felt, boy, I'm unsatisfied. This is not a good marriage. It, at least as simple as it is today. You could just, I'm not saying it's emotionally simple, but legally it can be fairly simple. And Paul's going to challenge the Corinthians who were used to saying, well, eh, it's not working out. We'll, we'll go find somebody else. He's going to challenge them like, no, I want you to stay together. For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages... And by mixed marriages, he means Christian married to non Christian. We have no explicit command from the master. So, this is what you must do. If you're a man with a wife who's not a believer but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. So, you're following the Lord, she's not, but she's willing to live with you and make this work. Stay there, hold on to her. If you're a woman with a husband who is a believer but uh, who is not a believer but he wants to live with you, Hold on to him. More than once in my life, I've, I've, I've had somebody say, you know, well, my spouse doesn't love God the way I do. I, I need to separate, you know, go a different direction. The Lord told me it's time to end this marriage. And I'm like, well, how did the Lord tell you it's time to end this marriage? Well, you're like, you wouldn't believe it. I was on Facebook and I found this lady I used to date when I was 18. And it's just like the Lord brought us together. And I'm like, no, that was actually the devil, Right. That was not the Lord. He's just saying, listen, find a way to be content. Now he's going to say some really beautiful, challenging things. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be left out. As it is, they also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. So this is... really hard i'm just gonna be frank very hard to interpret if if you looked at different bible scholars they would say we're not sure what to do with this so paul's saying that you're following jesus and you are married to somebody who's not following jesus paul's saying somehow some way your relationship with god impacts your unbelieving spouse and impacts the children as well you're not alone god sees and he is working now There's all kinds of challenging things that go along with that. Like, what exactly are you saying, Paul? Paul's not going to describe it, but he says this Your faith is profound, and your faith makes an impact on your unbelieving spouse and upon your children. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it, okay, as peacefully as we can. He's saying this. He's presented lots of scenarios, single, married, difficult marriages. He says this is what God's called us to do. Make the best of it. Find a way to do it as peacefully as possible. You never know, wife. The way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband. The way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. We keep that up there for just a second. Okay. In a world where escapism, I'm going to find, it, I'll find happiness over here. I'll find this person over here. This is what Paul says. Okay, This is how he's going to redefine relationships. Where you are right now, that's God's place for you. We can move on. Live and obey and love and believe right there. You might say, oh, but Paul. You don't know who I'm married to. Paul, you don't know what it's like to be single in my world. My, per- pressure, my parents are always putting pressure on me. That I, why don't you get married? Why don't you I'll never have grandkids? Uh, you, you don't know what it's like, Paul. And this is what Paul says. Live, don't just, don't just survive. Don't just get by. Live. Live. Engage with life and obey. Obey the Lord in the midst of whatever your context is and love. Oh, look, you have no idea how hard it is. Just love that person and believe. Believe the best. Believe in God's goodness. Believe he's there for you right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. If there was one sentence I would love for you to hear and absorb and let sink into your soul that is it God not your marital status defines your life. And then a little disclaimer because he is so challenging their assumptions about relationships. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on the others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. Cuz I'll tell you what they read this. They, they, remember, they sent a letter away to Paul. They said, Paul, we're really confused. Like, Corinth, you know, it's crazy when it comes to sexuality and we're being challenged on certain things. And, like, is it even a good thing? And, and they get the letter back and they're probably really excited to read it. And then here goes Paul redefining relationships, redefining so many things. And he says, listen. I know this is going to be challenging for you. I know this is different than a lot of the cultural things that you see happening around you. I'm not being hard on you. We're just going to let God define what relationships look like rather than let culture define what relationships look like. Okay. No matter what station of life you're in. And I know this um, in the United States of America, we're now at the place where half of adults are single. The single population has risen. I have two brothers at pastor churches in Seattle, and there are significantly more single people than married people. The world's changed a lot. I love this because Paul's going to address wherever we're at in our lives. So just two main points from this. First one is this. Every human being is looking for something or someone to complete him or her. Every human being is looking for something or someone to complete him or her. Got to get my right sign. Does this sign say complete? Yeah? Oh, excellent. Good. It's really hard to read when you're looking at the sign. So here's what human beings want. There is something in every human's life, okay, I don't don't care how successful you are. um, I I don't care how much power, prestige, it doesn't matter. There's something in a human being that feels as if something is broken. In our moments where we are the most honest, there's something in me that's lacking, that's missing. And so here's what we do. We look for someone to complete us, okay? It's the old you know, the the, the romantic scenario in the movie Jerry Maguire, okay? Where Tom Cruise bursts into the room and he looks at the actress. I don't remember who she is. Renee Renee Zellwinger. Wigger, yeah. (laughs) And says, you complete me. And she just melts. (laughs) Right? You complete me. Which, I'm telling you, Sounds, wow, what a high compliment. You finally found somebody who completes you. Here's the problem with this whole idea, and this is just culturally normal. When we use phrases like, I'm looking for my soulmate, I'm I'm looking for that person that's going to help me be fully alive, is we know there's something wrong inside. There are insecurities, there are pains, there are weaknesses, there's loneliness. And so we are trying to find someone to complete us. And the only place that I can fully be completed, and I believe this at the core of who I am, is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's broken in me cannot be fixed by another human being, no matter how exceptional that human being is. Jane and I have been married for over 26 years. Okay? She cannot complete me. I cannot complete her. There is only one place that I can find healing, a sense of self-worth, a sense of direction and purpose, a sense of being absolutely unconditionally loved, and that would be in my relationship with Jesus because only he can heal, only he can restore. This is the place, it's with the Lord that I take what's wrong with me and He completes that sense of there's something wrong with me. It's ancient, it's ancient as human existence. It began in Genesis chapter three, the very beginning of the Bible where mankind rebelled against God and this rift happened, this separation. You and I were meant to walk with God, to know him personally. But this rift of sin, this rift of human rebellion separated us from God and so we have all this void inside. And what we tend to do, like what they tried to do in Corinth is I'll fill the void through another human being. If I can just find the right person, they can complete me. They can deal with my loneliness. They can give me my sense of self-worth. If I am looking at another human being to complete me, here's the problem. That love is actually predatory. Predatory, like, like a predator. It's a love that takes. So if I'm looking at another person, I'm saying, I need security from you. I need a sense of purpose and worth from you. I am actually looking at that person and I am taking from them. It's a predation. I need something from you. And ladies and gentlemen, culturally, this is why so many relationships are painful and are empty and are short-lived. Because it is absolutely unfair for me to put that on another human being. If I get up every morning and look at my wife and say, Jenny, I need you to make me feel secure today. The weekend went terrible. Tell me I'm worthy. Right? That's unfair. I'm praying on her. But there is a God who came to earth to heal what was broken, to help humanity move towards completion, who I can take my weaknesses and my emptiness to and say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender to you. Would you make what's wrong in me healthy? Would you complete me? No human being can do that, and it's unfair for me to expect it. Paul, although what we read isn't romantic at all, just a few chapters later, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, um, it's a chapter that you will find on Hallmark cards. It's, people just call it the love chapter because Paul's going to describe true love. And, and every read through it, read through it this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says things like this Love is patient and kind, it endures all things. Love doesn't take, it's not defensive. Love is this generous thing that flows from one person to another. And he's describing the love God has for us, but then he's also describing the love that we can have for another person. It's the opposite of a love that says, I need you to complete me. 1 Corinthians 13 is a type of love from someone who realizes I'm only complete in God, and then once I'm complete in God, I have something to give to another person. I'm not looking at that person to fill the voids in my life. Now, here's the second point. Human relationships, and particularly in marriage, is only meant to complement me, not to complete me. It's meant to complement me, not to complete me. These are two. Very, very different things. This is going to take tremendous effort, and it's miraculous, and it's God-sized. But human relationships, friendships, and marriage, they can actually complement me. Meaning, I find things in my life that, boy, I'm just not skilled in that area, and somebody else can make me better. Um... You ever heard it said that opposites attract? I find it so often true, isn't it? Uh, So many things about Jenny and I were like really, really different. She is as spontaneous as they come, okay? And I am as planned, like financially conservative, like I want to have a plan for, uh, you know, the end times for potential zombie apocalypse. You know, like I want to have a plan and it is not uncommon for uh, me to wake up and it's our day off. And she says, what, what if we drove to South Dakota today to get lunch? I'm like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) You know, the gas money involved and there's perfectly good restaurants right here in town. She just likes wants to do something new, right? We compliment each other. It's actually made my life a lot more enjoyable because I would always like, that's not the plan. Let's do the plan. And she's like, whatever. Why do you need a plan? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure why I always need a plan. That's a good question. It's been great. She compliments me. I compliment her. This is how human beings were meant to, when they're in a marriage, you're meant to work this way. Let's read from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter in the Bible, where God is going to create humanity. He's going to say a few things that help us understand this whole idea of what it means for one human being to compliment another. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us, and you're going to notice a few peculiar things. God is using the plural, referring to himself. We know that God himself is relational. There's three aspects to him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So he says, we are communal. Okay, we are, we are in beautiful relationship. We're three but one. Let us make mankind, not just a man, not just a woman, but let us make them in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. By the way, this word rule is rada, rada in Hebrew, which is benevolent leadership. It's what a king was asked to do with his kingdom. Lead them and love them. That's, that's what we're asked to do with creation. So God created mankind. Not just a woman, not just a man. Mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, he says, there are some things about God that are distinctly traditionally feminine. There are some things about God that are traditionally distinctly masculine. God is not just, I know we talk about God as the he There's this deep biblical tradition, but God says the only way that humanity can reflect me is if there's two different genders. And somehow then it begins to look a little bit more like God. One human being, one gender, complements the other. And together, this is our purpose, is that we begin to reflect God. There's something about you, ladies, It is distinctly a reflection of God. And there's something about you men that is just uniquely a reflection of God. So let's think through Paul's text, wherever we're at in life. First of all, first of all, this idea of God completes and another human being can only compliment me. I want to talk to those of us in the room who are single, who are single. The first thing I want you to know is Paul would give you a fist bump. He'd be like, well done. Come on, let's go change the world. You don't have to worry about all those other things, right? Paul is completely and totally for you. And I want to ask forgiveness. I think sometimes within the Christian church, we put pressure on people that you have to be married. Paul does not do anything like that. In fact, he kind of says, like, well, if you have to get married, it's because you couldn't handle life, right? You had all these sexual urges and you couldn't do anything. You, know, like you couldn't handle it, so you had to go get married, fine, whatever, right? So Paul says, listen, if you're single, he wants to celebrate with you. And here's why you can live an incredibly happy and fulfilled life. Why? Because Paul says, you Know the one who completes you. You're single. And as long as you're taking everything that is empty in your life and you're saying, I find fulfillment in God. I find hope. I find healing in God. You're going to be just fine, he says. You're going to thrive. You're going to experience joys. It's not a negative Whatsoever, Paul communicates that being married is not the ultimate expression of being human. Listen, I, I hear from single people all the time. Well, I feel kind of left, Stan. I feel a little bit left out, and maybe you don't even want to get married, but you're like culturally, it just seems awkward. He says, "Listen, you are fully human, and you can have a beautiful life. And in fact, you have some advantages," Paul says, "over people who are married. Embrace that. Embrace that. So, what if you're a young person in the room? Maybe you're a teenager, you're college, maybe even later in life, and you're dating while you're single. This is what Paul says." Do not think that there is a human being who is out there who is going to fulfill your every need and make you whole. If you're looking for that, it's a predatory love and it is bound and determined to be destructive because you're going to take something. So while you're single, if one day you want to be married, find your completeness in him, go to him, build the most dynamic, healthy relationship possible with God. So that if and when there is a time when you're going to get married, you are as healthy and strong and complete as possible and then someone else can simply compliment you. You do not need them to survive. You desperately need God to survive. Those of you who are single. Now, for those of us who are in Difficult marriages, And listen, I, there's not a week that goes by in my life where I don't talk to people who are in painful, difficult marriages. So I want you to know, I have deep empathy, okay? But I also know this, that our culture says this, just move on. Go find happiness. Now, I do understand there are abusive relationships. There is infidelity. There is uh, abandonment, all of that. That's covered differently in the Bible. It, God seems to say, you know, because of that, sometimes you need to move on. But if you're just married to somebody who's just a stinker, you know, I don't know. that's I guess Christian cussing, right? Um, if he's married to somebody, you're like, oh my goodness, this person drives me crazy. Paul challenges you. He says, hang in there, love, believe, live right there in that relationship. And as you find the God who completes you, who knows what might happen to that person you're married to? Who knows that they might wake up? Who knows that there could be something else? This is also why people. People who don't know God can have great marriages. You ever seen that? Like, man, you guys have such a great marriage. Why? Because they're not praying on that person. They find fulfillment in something and they say, this person, they just compliment me and we'll work together. But if you're in that difficult relationship, maybe one of you is serving God and the person you're married to isn't, I understand there can be some spiritual loneliness there. I understand that you can feel a bit isolated. I understand there's tension when maybe you have kids and you're like, you want this for your kids and your spouse doesn't want that for your kids. And it's going to be challenging. But Paul says, live peacefully. And find your completeness in God. Because even if your your spouse was a believer or a better person, they still couldn't complete you. It's impossible. Look to him to complete you and keep moving ahead. Not in misery, but choose to thrive because you know the one who completes you. How about for the people in the room who are married? Um, Some of us, let me tell you this. Just because you are following the Lord... Doesn't mean that you're immune from this cultural thing of, of thinking that somebody else completes you. Some of you, you're sitting next to somebody right now that you have deep resentment and pain towards. I get that. You're sticking it out. Give up on the idea that this person that you married is ever going to make you happy. All right? That's, that is not going to be. In a Hallmark card, okay? Just write, write that card right now. I choose to believe that you will never make me happy and give it to your spouse. (laughs) Be a great day for you, I promise. (laughs) But I'm gonna tell you something. I love seeing marriages that are in a terrible spot repaired and made whole. Here's how it typically happens. Somebody is turning to the one they're married to and they're like, I need you to fix me. I need this from you. I need to feel better. It's when you finally turn to God and you say, God, I don't know what I was thinking when I married that person. I was so young. They've changed so much for the worse entirely. (laughs) But God, it's you who complete me. And could you teach me What it means to be secure in you? Could you teach me what love really looks like so that one day I can turn to this person and we could have a thriving marriage? And here's the most beautiful thing. I'm telling you, this is an incredibly beautiful thing, is when two people who know that God completes them, they have a relationship that revolves around God. It doesn't revolve around each other. It's we revolve around God. One final just point for, for you to think about before we leave this. There's also this challenge in life. When it comes to God, we think of God, and I know even in this room, we have this huge spiritual spectrum. We have, you have people here, like you read the Bible constantly, and you're growing so deep. We have a lot of people that aren't sure what we believe. Here's one challenge. There is a way of looking at God where you look at him to just compliment you. God, here's my life, here's my agenda, here's my goals, and here's what I need you to do. I need you to help me get there. And so it's kind of like God's a genie. Like, I found, I found the little, you know, little lamp, and God puffs out, and like, here's my wishes. God, compliment me, make my life better. Listen, when you talk about following Jesus, it's not just, hey, Jesus, I'll put you on speed dial, when I'm in trouble, I'll call. It is... Coming before him and falling on my knees and saying, I surrender my agenda, my will to follow you. And I honestly believe it's when I look to Jesus to complete me. That's when I have the endurance and the strength to live the way Paul asked me to live. I want to read verse 17 one more time. Just in light of what we just talked about. Don't be wishing you are someplace else or with someone else. Where you're at right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Single people. Being single does not define your life. If you're dating, dating does not define your life. If you're married, that does not define your life. Let God be the one who completes you. Let him define your life. Jesus, thank you for these ancient words. I am amazed that 2,000 years ago, human beings were struggling with the very things that we struggle with today. In Corinth, there were cultural assumptions, things that just just seemed right. Everybody did it. We've always done it this way. In our world, we have the same cultural assumptions. God, we give you room to redefine relationships for us. Lord, for those of us in the room who are single... Lord, if it's your will for us to embrace that, I pray that we would turn to the one who completes us like never before. And Lord, there will be other relationships, there will be friendships that complement us, but we find our completion in you. We embrace this. And we pray that you would do things. we, We have a unique opportunity, as Paul says. We embrace this and you do things that we can't even imagine through us. Lord, for those of us who might be dating, might be lonely, might be broken, God, we will not look to a person to complete us. That is a love that takes, that is a love that is predatory in its nature. We turn to you, you are the only one who can feed that hunger within us. Lord, would you satisfy it? Would you complete us? Would you heal us and make us whole so that one day we could love someone and they'd be a compliment to our lives, not a necessity. Lord, I pray for marriages in the room. I know there are some marriages that are thriving and there are some that are struggling. God, we repent from leaning in, On someone else trying to take something that they could never give us and we run back to you Lord as we lean into you as we look to you as the one who completes us Lord, would there be a health and would there be a maturing and would there be a healing in marriages would there be two people who find completion in you serving God together and complementing one another in the process one more quick thing if there's anyone in the room and you would say Nate I've looked to God maybe just to compliment my life I call him when I need something and I've been looking to fulfill what's empty in my in my life from other people and they've been unable to do that today I turn to Jesus and I surrender to him I say this, God, you're the only one who can make me whole. If that's you, and you need to surrender to him in that way, would you just raise your hand and wave at me? Say, Nate, that's me. I want to catch your eye if that's you. Yes, sir. You're his. You're forgiven, okay? Yes, sir. You're his, all right? Your son, he makes you whole right back here. Yeah, absolutely. And right there as well. That is beautiful. Okay, both of you, I want you to know, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're his if you're in the balcony, that's you, yeah. I see your hand. Absolutely. Okay, for all of you who just raise your hands, there's a God who loves you so much, and he is so powerful. You're running to him right now, and he has the capacity and the patience to make you whole. You're his, your his daughter, your son. Everybody, would you just celebrate for those who raised their hands? It's a big step. I'm very, very proud of you. That's wonderful. Hey, if you did raise your hand, uh, here on the ground floor, and I believe up in the balcony, you'll see a banner. that says, I have decided. I just want to get a Bible in your hands and help you get started on that journey. Everybody else, be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. Have a beautiful weekend. If you need prayer for anything, there's people you can trust up front. Go get your Bible if you raise your hand. God bless you guys.